Good morning and welcome to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR and WRCR.com. I'm Claire Sheridan from the Historical Society of Rockland County. Our topic today is the Andre Arnold Affair. The Historical Society of Rockland County is a nonprofit educational institution and principal repository for the original ar- documents and artifacts relating to Rockland County. Our headquarters are a four-acre site featuring a history museum and the 1832 Jacob Lawveld House, located at 20 Zucker Road in New City. It is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Part of our broad and challenging mission is to share the history of Rockland County with the people of Rockland County, and we rely on financial support from people just like you. If you're interested in becoming a member of the Society or being a volunteer, please visit our website at rocklandhistory.org. Before we begin the program today, I'd like to remind our listeners that this is a call-in show, and we welcome your phone calls. The phone lines will be open throughout the broadcast, so please call us if you have a comment or a question. We'd love to hear from you. Our number here is 845-362-0013. That number again is 362-0013. My guest this morning is Thano Chappelle, longtime Tapan resident, retired New York City teacher, and teaching supervisor. He is also a former president of the Tapan Town Historical Society and currently leads walking tours of Tapan on behalf of the Tapan Town Historical Society. Thano is also a board member of the Tapan Library. We're very happy to welcome Thano to Crossroads of Rockland History. Thank you for inviting me, Claire. Sure. The Andre Arnold affair is an extremely broad topic, and it will be difficult to fit a full exploration of it in a mere 30 minutes, but we're going to try. So first, let's talk a bit uh, about Benedict Arnold. He is arguably the most famous traitor ever, certainly in American history. But he started out as a brave and decorated American, wasn't he? Uh, Benedict Arnold was a merchant operating ships on the Atlantic Ocean when the war broke out in 1775. After joining the growing army outside Boston, he distinguished himself through acts of intelligence and bravery. His actions included the capture of Fort Ticonderoga in 1775, defensive and delaying tactics despite losing the Battle of Alcor Island on Lake Champlain in 1776, the Battle of Ridgefield, Connecticut, after which he was promoted to Major General, Operations Relief of the Siege of Fort Stanwix, and key actions during the pivotal battles of Saratoga in 1777, in which he suffered leg injuries that ended his combat career for several years. Despite Arnold's successes, he was passed over for promotion by the Continental Congress, while other officers uh, claimed credit for some of his accomplishments. Adversaries in military and political circles brought charges of corruption or other malfeasance, but most often he was acquitted in formal inquiries. Congress investigated his accounts and found he was indebted to Congress after spending much of his own money on the war effort. He was incredibly frustrated and bitter at this, as well as with the alliance with France and failure of Congress to accept Britain's 1778 proposal to grant full self-governance in the colonies. So let's turn our attention now to Major John Andre. Can you speak a little bit about his background? Well, John Andre was born on the 2nd of May in 1750 in London to wealthy Huguenot parents. At age 20, he entered the British Army and joined his regiment, the 7th Royal Fusiliers, in Canada in 1774 as a lieutenant. He was captured at Fort Saint-Jean by General Richard Montgomery in November 1775 and held prisoner at Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He lived in the home of Caleb Cope, enjoying the freedom of the town as he had given his word not to escape. 
In December 1776, he was freed in a prisoner exchange. He was promoted to captain in the 26th foot on 18th of January in 1777 and to major in 1778. He was a great favorite in colonial society, both in Philadelphia and New York, during the occupation of, by the British Army. He had a lively and pleasant manner and could draw, paint, and cut silhouette pictures, as well as sing and write verse. He was a fluent writer who carried on much of General Clinton's correspondence. He was fluent in English, French, German, and Italian, and he also wrote many comic verses. And it was in 1779 that Major Andre was appointed in charge of the British secret intelligence. Uh, yes. Andre became adjutant general of the British Army in, in America with the rank of major. In April of that year, he took charge of the British secret intelligence. So let's talk a little bit about how Benedict Arnold made the decision to turn his allegiance to the British. Well, after the withdrawal of the British from Philadelphia, General Washington appointed Benedict Arnold commander of the city. Even before the Americans reoccupied Philadelphia, Arnold began planning to capitalize financially on the change in power there, engaging in a variety of business deals designed to profit from war-related supply movements and benefiting from the protection of his authority. Arnold did profit from these dealings and lived extravagantly in Philadelphia. During this time, he moved in the most elite circles, which were made up of people who had been either loyalists or loyalist sympathizers, uh, many of whom had become quite wealthy from doing business with the British. Arnold was living well in Philadelphia, and at this time, the summer of 1778, uh, he became acquainted with Peggy Shippen. Peggy Shippen was the 18-year-old daughter of a judge who was a loyalist sympathizer. As such, uh, Shippen and Major Andre were known to each other because her family had done business with the British during the British occupation of Philadelphia. In fact, uh, Shippen described Andre as a, quote, dear friend, unquote, whatever that means. Arnold and Shippen married in April of 1779, and we know from correspondence that Shippen stayed in contact with many of her British acquaintances. At this time, we know from letters written by Arnold that he was unhappy with his situation and pessimistic about the country's future. As he became more and more dissatisfied, he decided to change his loyalties. It was um, at this time that he was introduced to Major Andre. So they began, Andre and Arnold, they began a correspondence, right? Uh, yes, they began a secret correspondence. Letters would be passed through the women's circle that Peggy Shippen Arnold was part of, but only Peggy would be aware that some of the letters contained instructions, written both in code and in visible ink, that were passed on to Major Andre using a courier. This culminated over a year later with Arnold's changing sides. By July 1779, Arnold was providing the British with troop locations and strengths as well as the locations of supply depots. By October 1779, Patriot mobs were scouring Philadelphia for loyalists, and Arnold and Shippen and the Shippen family were being threatened. Arnold was rebuffed by Congress and by local authorities in requests for security details for himself and his in-laws. By April 1780, Arnold resigned his military command of Philadelphia and was offered command of West Point by General George Washington. He jumped at the chance. So, tell us about the importance 
of taking command of West Point at that time? Well, General Washington, in assigning Arnold to the command at West Point, also gave him authority over the entire American-controlled Hudson River from Albany down to the British lines outside New York City. Once he established himself at West Point, Arnold began systematically weakening its defenses and military strength. Uh, Needed repairs on the chain across the Hudson were never ordered. Troops were liberally distributed uh, within Arnold's command, but only minimally at West Point itself or furnished to Washington upon his request. He also peppered Washington with complaints about the lack of supplies, writing, quote, everything is wanting, unquote. At the same time, he tried to drain West Point's supplies so that a siege would be more likely to succeed. His subordinates, some longtime associates, grumbled about Arnold's unnecessary distribution of supplies and eventually concluded that Arnold was selling supplies on the black market for personal gain. It was at this time, once Arnold got to West Point, that he reacquainted himself with Joshua Het Smith. Uh, yes, while en route to West Point, Arnold renewed an acquaintance with Joshua Het Smith, someone Arnold knew had spied for both sides and who owned a house near the western bank of the Hudson, about 15 miles south of West Point. On August 30th, Arnold sent a letter accepting Clinton's terms for the sale of the plans to West Point. Arnold proposed a meeting with uh, Major Andre, which was set for September 11th near Dobbs Ferry. This meeting was thwarted when British gunboats in the river, not having been informed of his impending arrival, fired on his boat. In a subsequent meeting attempt, Major Andre went up the Hudson River on the British sloop of war Vulture on Wednesday, the 20th of September, 1780, to visit Arnold. In the wee hours of September 22nd, a small boat furnished by Arnold was steered to the Vulture by Joshua at Smith. At the oars were two brothers, tenants of Smith's, who reluctantly rowed the boat six miles on the river to the sloop. Despite Arnold's assurances, the two oarsmen sensed something was wrong. None of these men knew Arnold's purpose or suspected his treason, and they were all told that the purpose was to do good for the Patriot cause. Only Joshua Het Smith was told anything specific, and that was the lie that it was to secure vital intelligence for the American cause. The brothers finally agreed to row after threats by Arnold to arrest him. They picked up Andre and placed him on shore. Arnold came to Andre on horseback, leading an extra horse for Andre's use. Uh, The two men conferred in the woods below Stony Point until nearly dawn, after which Andre accompanied Arnold several miles to the Joshua Het Smith House, now known as the Treason House, in West Haverstraw, New York. Uh, Soon thereafter, on the morning of the 22nd of September, American troops commanded by Colonel James Livingston, guarding Verplank's Point across the river, began firing on the vulture, which received many hits and was forced to retire downriver without Major Andre. Uh, This means that Major Andre was stranded. You're listening to WRCR and Crossroads of Rockland History. I'm Claire Sheridan from the Historical Society of Rockland County, and my guest is Thano Chappelle, former president of the Tappan Town Historical Society. And our topic today is the Andre Arnold Affair. If you have a comment or a question, please feel free to call. The number is 845-362-0013. That number again is 845-362-0013. So there Major Andre is on the shores of the Hudson Stranded. What happens next? Well, the attack on the boat forced Major Andre to return to New York overland. 
Benedict Arnold wrote out passes for Andre so that he would be able to pass through the lines, and at that same time, Arnold also gave him the plans for West Point. In addition, to aid Andre's escape through American lines, Arnold provided him with civilian clothes and a passport where he traveled under the name of John Anderson. And he placed these documents in his boot, right? Yes. Hidden in his stocking, he bore six papers written in Arnold's hand that showed the British how to take the fort. What's ironic is that this was unnecessary since Clinton already knew the fort's layout. Andre rode rode on in safety until 9 a.m. on the 23rd of September when he came near Tarrytown, New York, where armed militiamen John Paulding, Isaac Van Wart, and David Williams stopped him. Gentlemen, said Andre, who thought they were Tories because one of them was wearing a Hessian soldier's overcoat, I hope you belong to our party. What party? asked one of the men. The lower party, replied Andre, meaning the British. We do, was the answer. Andre then told them that he was a British officer who must not be detained, but when to his surprise, they said they were Americans and that he was their prisoner. He then told them he was an American officer and showed them his passport, but the suspicions of his captors were now aroused. They searched him and found Andre's papers in his stocking. Only Paulding could read, and initially Arnold was not suspected. Andre offered them his horse and watch if they would let him go, but they did not accept his bribe. Andre testified at his trial that the men searched his boots for the purpose of robbing him. Paulding, however, realized he was a spy and took him to the Continental Army headquarters in Sands Hill. So once he was captured, where was Andre detained? Andre was first detained at Wright's Mill in North Castle, New York, before being taken to the headquarters of the American Army at Tapan, where he was held at Maybe's Tavern, what we call today the old 76 house. There he admitted who he really was. First, all went well for Andre since the post commandant, uh, Lieutenant Colonel John Jameson, decided to send him to Arnold, never suspecting that a high-ranking hero of the revolution would be a turncoat. But Major Benjamin Talmadge, head of the Continental Army Intelligence, arrived and persuaded Jameson to bring the prisoner back. He offered intelligence showing that a high-ranking officer was planning to defect the British, but he was unaware of who it was. Curiously, though unwilling to believe Arnold could be guilty of treason, Jameson did have the six sheets of paper carried by Andre sent not to Arnold, but to George Washington. However, Jameson also insisted on sending a note to Arnold informing him of the entire situation. Uh, Jameson did not want his army career to be wrecked later for having wrongly believed that his general was a traitor. Arnold received Jameson's note while at breakfast with his officers. Uh, He made an excuse to leave the room and was not seen again. The note gave Arnold time to escape to the British. An hour or so later, Washington arrived at West Point with his party and was disturbed to see the stronghold's fortifications in such neglect part of the plan to weaken West Point's uh, defenses. Washington was further irritated to find that Arnold had breached protocol by not being about to meet him. Some hours later, Washington received the explanatory information from Major Talmadge and immediately sent men to arrest General Arnold, but it was too late. According to Talmadge's accounts of the events, he and Andre conversed during the latter's captivity and transport. Andre wanted to know how he would be treated by Washington. Talmadge, who had been an associate of Nathan Hale while both were at Yale, 
described the capture of Hale. When Andre asked whether Talmadge thought that the situation similar, he replied, yes, precisely similar, and similar shall be your fate, a reference to Hale's hanging as a spy by the British. Then came the trial. Can you talk a little bit about that for us? Oh, sure. General George Washington convened a board of senior officers to investigate the matter. Andre's defense was that he was suborning an enemy officer, an advantage taken in war, that was his words. However, he did not attempt to pass the blame onto Arnold. Andre told the court that he had neither desired nor planned to be behind American lines. He also asserted that, as a prisoner of war, he had the right to escape in civilian clothes. On the 29th of September, 1780, the board found Major Andre guilty of being behind American lines, quote, under a feigned name and in a disguised habit, unquote, and ordered that Major Andre, adjutant general to the British Army, ought to be suffered as a spy from the enemy, and that agreeable to the law and usage of nations, it is their opinion he ought to suffer death. And in spite of efforts to stop it, Major Andre was executed in Tepan, correct? Yes. Uh, Sir Henry, Henry Clinton, the British commander in New York, did all he could to save Andre, his favorite aide, but refused to surrender Arnold in exchange for Andre, even though he personally despised Arnold. Andre appealed to George Washington to be executed by a firing squad, but by the rules of war, he was hanged as a spy at Tepan, on the 2nd of October in 1780. A religious poem written two days before his execution was found in his pocket after the execution. While he was a prisoner, he endeared himself to American officers who lamented his death as much as the British. Alexander Hamilton wrote of him, uh, Never perhaps did any man suffer death with more justice or deserve it less. The day before Andre's hanging, he drew with pen and ink a likeness of himself which is now owned by Yale College. Andre, according to witnesses, refused the blindfold and placed the noose around his own neck and then used his own kerchief around his own eyes. I mean, we still visit these sites that we've been talking about here on Rockland now. So we have historical markers throughout the county highlighting these spots. The uh, treason site has a historical marker and, of course, is a boulder in the river which is etched as a site marker, too. If anyone cares to go there to reach the site, they should drive to the end of the Riverside Avenue in Haverstraw, New York, and leave their car in the parking lot where the Nyack Beach Hook Mountain Greenway Trail begins. Uh, they should walk down the path uh, south for about a tenth of a mile, and then find the large brown historical marker along the trail. A rough uh, footpath starts about 50 uh, feet north of the marker and goes steeply downhill to the water's edge. Uh, they should turn right and follow the shoreline south for several hundred yards to locate the engraved boulder. Uh, the Treason House site hosts a marker, which is near, uh, the Treason House is near Helen Hayes Hospital. The 76 House in Tapan is a marker, and of course there is an impressive marker on Andre Hill in Tapan, where the site upon which hang, uh, Andre was hanged. And the boulder that is actually visible at low tide. A lot of people go there and they don't see it, and it's because the as the river's tides are coming in and out, sometimes that boulder is covered by water. So uh, you have to catch it on a, <laughs> on a on a low tide day. Well, you go online and find out where the tidal charts are and uh, 
schedule your see your visit uh, with with <laughs> exactly okay on special anniversaries the Tapan Town Historical Society often does reenactments right well yes actually uh, this uh, on the uh, anniversary uh, uh, of uh, Major Andre's execution I will be leading uh, school children every year school children are led up to the monument they're told what happened there the inscription from the monument is red and if I can keep my powder dry and it's not raining I will shoot off a flintlock musket to commemorate the hanging of Major Andre and do him some justice uh, since uh, as he said when he died he died as a brave man. And you've had some near misses with the reenactments haven't you? Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can I can uh, say actually my dealing with Colonial Day and and the uh, reenactments in general started in 1980 when I became involved with the bicentennial reenactment of the execution uh, trial and execution of Major Andre, and you know when we were planning this, we also invited and brought over from England Major John Andre of the British Army with his wife and two children. Uh, Major Andre was actually a major, he's a collateral descendant of, of the original John Andre, and he was a major in the British Army in the same regiment that the original John Andre was in. And we knew he was coming with his wife and two children, and we we thought about it. How do you, how do you hang someone with everyone watching, especially, you know, children? And, and so what we decided to do was uh, stand him in the cart as as he was or Major Andre was originally with a noose around his neck and blindfolded and, and tied with his hands behind his back as, as uh, John Andre had been tied and uh, when the moment came with the drums beating the hangman touched off a pile of gunpowder uh, that was uh, right by the uh, the bottom of the wagon and with the explosion of the gunpowder and a big white puff of smoke, the hangman threw Andre, actually the uh, man playing Andre, John Vilbig, threw him down onto the base of the cart. And of course, as soon as he threw him down into the base of the cart, the noose around his neck, which had caught in the coffin, which was also in the cart, tightened around John Vilbig's neck as he lied, he didn't want to struggle because he wanted the uh, the illusion to be maintained, and he he was there. He was lying in the bottom of the cart with this noose tightening around his neck, very tight, as a matter of fact. And he was saying to himself, "Well, here we are, two hundred years to the day that uh, Major Andre was hanged, and I'm probably going to be uh, hanged myself and suffocate myself." Well, uh, it didn't work that way. He didn't. He did live to tell the tale, but uh, it was uh, probably a very interesting moment for him. The dangers of reenactments right also uh <laughs> it it didn't it didn't end there actually the the story of major andre and i and when i do uh walking tours i do say it's the story of major andre because there are differing accounts of what happened and differing accounts of how how he died in terms of did it t- take a long time or a short time for him to die but die he did and after about 20 minutes his body was cut down and he was buried where he was hanged and there the body of Andre stood, or lay, for 40 years, at least in 18, 1821, after the British and the Americans had uh, obviously uh, made up their differences for some time, there was an exchange of bodies. Americans had left bodies in Canada when we tried to in, actually steal Canada from the English at the beginning of the Revolutionary War. And, of course, the English had bodies in, in the uh, what were then the colonies. 
And so uh, in 1821, a, a British commission came to Tepan and uh, with the help of Americans, uh, disinterred the body of Major Andre. And in doing so, and once again, there are different stories about the uh, state of preservation of his body. It seems that one of the undertakers took one of Andre's big toes as a souvenir. And it was kept in his family and is kept in his family to this day in a little wooden snuff box. I've seen it. It looks like a little twig. And once again, there are doubts whether this is actually the toe. I guess someone could spend money and uh, do a DNA analysis uh, since he has collateral relatives still alive. But I choose to believe that it is his toe. And when people come from England, I tell them that, yes, um, Major Andre's body was taken back to Westminster Abbey. And there is a memorial in Westminster Abbey that anyone can see. But we still have part of him and we are not going to give him up. Well, we're about to run out of time. This has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you, Thano, for being here uh, to discuss the Andre Arnold affair. Keep in mind that all the information that we discuss, as well as a recording of this broadcast, can be found at www.rocklandhistory.org. And if there are listeners who wish to delve deeper into this topic, there is a good resource relating to this event, as well as a larger Culper spy ring, which was featured on the show Turn, which I know a lot of people have liked. You can visit the aphdigital.org slash projects slash Culper Spiring. It's an independent study project by Andrea Meyer in the New York University Public History and Archives program. She's at a master's program and she's put together this wonderful website specifically about the Culper Spiring, but it does include a whole section on the Andre Arnold spying affair. Locally, there's a wonderful permanent exhibition entitled A Spy in Our Midst, Major John Andre at the Orangetown Historical Museum. It's in their historic Salyer House and that's located at 213 Blue Hill Road in Pearl River. And to learn more about this exhibition or their exhibition hours, you can visit them at orangetownmuseum.com. And I hope you will tune in to the next Crossroads of Rockland History on Monday, October 20th, right after the Steve and Meredith Show at 1010 a.m. We'll turn our focus to the spooky history of Rockland, from the last witch of West Nyack to the legend of Spook Rock. I hope you will tune in. That's Monday, October 20th. There are many upcoming events and programs on tap at the Historical Society of Rockland County, including the History in Your Own Backyard bus trip this Saturday to historic cemeteries in Ramapo, as well as our Fall Festival, which will be a collaboration this year between the Heritage of West Nyack and the town of Clarkstown. If you're interested in learning more about any of these events or programs or any of, any of what we talked about today on our broadcast, you can visit our website again. That's rocklandhistory.org. And our telephone number is 634-9629. And a great way to find out about what's happening is to like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. I'm Claire Sheridan. Thanks for listening to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR and WRCR.com.